documented. Miracles happening today. Hi everyone, it's Melissa. I just wanted to pop on before our last episode of the year and tell you guys Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I just want to thank you guys. This has exceeded my expectations. This was a great year for our podcast and for just all the listeners and the community and the feedback has blown my mind. This really started, if you've heard from the beginning, it really started uh, with a quest from myself to just really focus on miracles and what God has done because any Christian walk, you can start getting cynical. You can start getting um, even discouraged or empty. And I was like, you know what? I know so many stories of God's intervention. And so I'm going to start just by asking my friends, really people that I know, like, can you tell me your story? Really tell me your story when God met you. And it has turned into something that has been life-changing for me. And I'm so humbled. I am so humbled by every single person who comes up to me and says, man, this really helped me. I mean, it's just been such a blessing to hear people's stories. Thank you to every single person who is willing to be vulnerable and come on the show and share what God has done. That's not easy. And really putting yourself out there, really, really amazing and incredible thing to do. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the show. And my passion for this show is that it would really glorify God and that it would help anybody who's struggling and really just shine light on the character of God. And so if you know anybody that it would help, please share. I love, love, love to hear from you. And last but not least, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It is our final episode of 2022 and we have a really special Mm. guest with us today. Carrie Cutter is coming on. This is my mother-in-law. So one of her greatest accomplishments was raising my husband, David. (laughs) But I I first heard Carrie's testimony about six years ago when we worked together in a drug rehab meeting outreach that we put on. So we basically would invite drug addicts from all the different rehabs to come for a meeting. And then the person who spoke would talk about how they found freedom in Jesus Christ and from the bondage of drug addiction And I remember really clearly the very first time I heard Carrie's testimony, it just completely and totally blew my mind because of the woman that she is now. And those are the kind of testimonies that I love so much because it gives so much hope for somebody who's in the middle of it to be like, I could get to the place where God puts me back together and he completely changes the circumstances of my life. And it was so gripping and powerful. And one of the things I really appreciate about Carrie and her husband is that they never forget where they came from. And God has tremendously blessed their life. They've been really good stewards of what God's given them. They've been a really huge blessing financially to the work of God in Prescott. They also, uh, for years, Bruce was the head of the drama. And so he has impacted countless amount of lives through his drama productions. And just they're just solid stewards in the church that have always loved people. And I don't know if I can live up to that intro. (laughs) She definitely can. And so Carrie, I really, she Mm, was so cool. She's always very vulnerable about where she came from and very realistic. And I know that that's what, 
impacts people the most. And so buckle up because this is going to be a fantastic podcast. Hi, thank you for that (laughs) tremendous introduction. You know, you mentioned that we always remember where we came from. And one of the first things that came into my mind when you said that was sometimes I think I'm lying. It feels like I'm lying when I give my testimony now because I've been saved for 33 years, 34 this January. And I just praise God for that because there is no way on earth that I would have stayed saved if not for the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ in my life continuously. And so my testimony is, yes, dramatic, but the years following the staying power that Jesus Christ has had in my life are mind boggling. So tell me a little bit about your, your history and background. I was the second child of seven. Mm -hmm. And so I used to love getting laughs from my brothers and my sister or my mom and dad. You know, I would practice faces in the mirror and get them to nice. laugh at my faces and stuff like that. It was all about how how I could get attention in this huge family, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was part them. of what I was growing up, you know, from childhood, getting laughs from other people and having fun, you know? La- lots and lots of laughs. And and we we moved to far away at one point in time, and we all wanted to move, you know, because it was something cool, a big adventure the whole family was going to go on. And because I was raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and my <laughs> husband tells everyone I'm from Iowa. My parents are Iowans. And when they got married, they moved to the mountains, and that's where they had all their kids, 15 and 16. When we moved to Iowa, but in the seventies, when that in Jimmy Carter era, because I was born in nineteen sixty, so I'm the last of the baby boomers, and so I'm old no way. now. But in nineteen seventy, whatever, Jimmy Carter was president, and he killed the economy almost as bad as Joe Biden. Anyway, <gasps> but um, my dad was an electrician, and he his business was commercial and residential electrical. And he saw his writing on the wall. They just shut, basically shut down building. Wow. Kind of like a few years ago when it happened here in Prescott. All the guys sold their tools and moved away. All the construction guys. You couldn't get anybody to do anything. Anyway, my dad said, well, let's go back to Iowa. And we kids were super excited about that. And um, we had been going to a church in Colorado Springs. We were faithful members of a Christian church in Colorado Springs. So I was raised as a Christian. And I remember all the the big three, they used to show them, you know, the Jesus People revival hit when I was a kid. I remember kids in my youth group, like the older kids, getting radically saved. Wow. And not really understanding what had happened to them. Yeah. Just like one day Joni was like this, real worldly and the next time she came to youth group she wanted to go out and outreach wow what was that about we i didn't get it but my sister decided to make a decision for jesus christ when she turned 13 and it was easter was coming up and she understood what it meant to be a christian and how you in our church we didn't have it where you raised hands and went to the altar you you just went forward at the end of service Mm -hmm. and they sang a song and had like a benediction, they called it. And you could go up mm. if you wanted to publicly make a, a wow. make a 
stand for Jesus. And so she did that. And then the pastor talked to her about getting baptized. And she said, yes, I want to get baptized on Easter Sunday. My sister was so smart. She was just worlds ahead of me. And uh, I was she, just a Is this your older ball. sister? Yeah, okay. Allison. And she, she was very serious about this. And I noted her seriousness. And I decided I might need to be serious about it too. I felt like I needed some change in my life. But I didn't really know that that's what was going to... I did see Joni, the girl in youth group. Then my sister, Allison, decided to get baptized. So I was like, I'm not going to be left out of this. So I'm going to do this too. So then me, my sister, Allison, and two of our brothers all decided we wanted to get baptized on Easter Sunday. So the pastor sat us down and we went through some classes with him about what it means to be baptized as a Christian. He directed us through the Bible and he talked to us about giving our whole hearts to the Lord. And I remember that I said I would out loud, but inside my heart, I remember saying, but I'm going to save my destiny, like I'm going to still be the master of my own destiny, which isn't the same thing as giving your whole heart to Jesus. And I realized that years later, we got baptized. The most thing I remember about it was I was very nervous up there and I almost peed my pants. (laughs) I love it. But I did, and and nothing happened to me. She became different though. Because okay. that very next year when we when we went to the mountains, we moved up to the mountains. I remember on the bus, she would witness to people and completely condemn Catholicism. And just, she had a different thing going on and I was not part of it. I didn't get it at all. So I didn't get saved. You know, a couple of years later when everything fell apart economically my dad and mom started talking about Iowa and we had always gone back there every summer Mm because that's where grandparents were and stuff and our father had a 40 acre gentleman's farm there and he was like let's just move back to the farm and we what is a gentleman's farm a small farm okay that one man one gentleman can take care of on his own my brain was going a different direction (laughs) it was at the time that mother earth news was big I don't know if you know that magazine. It was, it was a huge thing in the 70s, living on the land, because the hippies had kind of made a stand about oh, commune-style living and farming and living off the land and kind of having like gardens. Today. It's coming back. It's back. It's so weirdly back. And uh, my parents weren't hippies or anything, but they thought that would be cool to do. And we, the seven of us, got really excited about it, too. So we decided to do it. And so we just loaded up a big truck with all our stuff. And my sister, my sister got her license. And so she drove our Volkswagen Beetle and I rode with her. And then my mom and the boys, I I think my dad took a couple boys. We had one of the cats, all the plants were in my mom's car. It was crazy. The move cross country. Yeah. (laughs) Seven kids, like five pets, two cats, three dogs, all the house plants ridiculous how long did it take you oh days but anyway we got there and Iowa was a trip because you know it's moving backwards all my kids in color all my friends in Colorado were like do pigs run wild in the streets uh no the the farmers there are very professional it's like very professional but it was at that place in Iowa where all our cousins were and everything that we started to party my sister and I and I, I would ask her, what are we doing? 
would be driving drunk. She would be driving drunk. And she goes, I don't know. I'm playing danger. She called it playing danger. So your sister, the one that had gotten saved. She had officially backslidden. Okay. Mm-hmm. And okay. how old were you at that time? It was the summer I was going to turn 16. My birthday's in August, so mm-hmm. I was only 15. But she had a, I remember she had a paper permit, driver's permit from Colorado. And I took it from her and I fudged it with pencil because I'm an artist. <laughs> I was like, and I made the date, I changed the date so I could get in to the bars. We started going to bars wow. with our cousins. She had an ID. It was drinking age was 18. How was she? How did she go when she was only 18? I don't know how. We just <laughs> walked in, man. It was terrible. Cute. That's what happened. It was, that was what it was. Yeah. These little towns, they didn't care. Hey, these chicks are here. Let them in. Yeah. Yeah. And what was your family dynamic with that? Your parents? Oh, my parents were like, get oh, they're them. just a couple of girls having fun. Okay. But they didn't know. They did not know. And that was my junior year that fall. And I already had a reputation as a partier. And so the kids in town were very antagonistic about it. And I was being pressured a lot to just keep the partying going. Mm-hmm. And in so Colorado, you were like the life of the party? Did it make you popular? Oh, yeah. And in Colorado, you didn't mix sports because we always went out for sports in Colorado. And you didn't mix sports with, with partying. The partiers were like idiots that didn't play sports and the sports people were the smart kids that didn't party and that dynamic completely shifted in Iowa everybody partied and did sports so there was that pressure and then you know to conform and be part of the in crowd because we were Hamiltons but we because there was a lot of other Hamiltons there our cousins my dad Mm -hmm. has eight siblings wow and they're dotted all around a lot of them you know, so people knew of the Hamiltons. They didn't know this set of Hamiltons. So, you know, we were a curiosity. Nobody moves there either. Okay. We were an absolute curiosity to these people. So how people. big is this town? Probably 2,500. 100? <gasps> oh, wow. oh, this is itty bitty. It had a hospital, though. It was the county seat. The town is only 2,500. But then the farms around it, you know, make up more. And uh, my graduating still, class. Not that much more. No, not really. It's very rural. Yeah, that makes sense, though, if it's all farmland. So yeah. your graduating class had how many people? 50 people. Wow. Five zero fifty. Five wow. zero. Everybody knew everybody in the yeah. entire school, too. All grades. Anyway, the, pr- the pressure was on to, to be crazy, to get attention by doing silly, crazy acts. Every weekend, we would go into town. Once we started school and we got to know the kids in town, in our town, not the other little towns we used to go to. But that's when we started scooping the loop, which was you drive the car back and forth between the bowling alley and the park. (laughs) And you yell at people and you you go to the you, you make plans to go. Everybody go to the elementary school and try to get as many people as you can in the car and tear up the lawns with the oh, car. Because we had a bug, a Volkswagen bug, and everybody wanted to stuff into that. And kids used to threaten to set it on top of the school. And One time we lost a wheel going down the hill in town. Oh. We didn't even notice. It was like, oh. wow, there's a tire rolling down the street. That's our tire. <laughs> oh, that kind of gosh. insanity. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
One time my sister drove off the road and we had walked to a farmhouse and having pull us out of the ditch. I mean, we were getting into all kinds of madness a lot. And I remember this kid named Tim in my class had a huge blowout party where everybody was there. And for some reason, we were driving my mom and dad's Suburban, (laughs) which we had to have a Suburban, but they stole the keys from her and they were driving. These were two kids in my class. And they were driving up and down this dirt road by this kid's farm. His parents were out of town and in our parents' suburban. And I, and I went and got my sister. I was like, Allison, we were schnockered, wasted. So much booze there. And I said, they have our car. They have our car. I'm like, they're tearing, they're tearing it up. They're down there. They were trying to pull stop signs out of the dirt. Windows. My dad's chains. Oh, I mean, my God. This is what was going on. This kind of crazy stupid stuff and no no rhyme or Allison reason went just, out just in... making mayhem absolutely just total you guys are bored is what happened i know dude that <laughs> these guys the small we didn't towns. we didn't know we were just i kind of feel like we were just the ignorant bystanders <laughs> yeah and she she decided to go out in the road and make them stop she would not move so they finally stopped and she jumped in the car and they turned around. I'm watching the whole thing from this kid's front yard. They turned around. They were driving so crazy and went back down the road and did a Yui down there and flipped the car <gasps> upside down. I was just like, I'm screaming, you know, cause my sister's in there. It was insane. She comes crawling out. Care. Just like, Oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to be dead. Somebody gave us a ride home. I don't remember who. But we had to wake our parents up and tell them we crashed their car. Oh, my God. And all they did was talk to us. We were not grounded. We were just talked to. I don't think they knew what to do with us, really. Wow. And then kids started offering drugs. First, first time I ever smoked pot, I think, was one of those drunk nights in somebody's car. I don't remember the effects because I was so drunk. I mean, I would just get that kind of drunk. Just stupid. Sloppy drunk. Anyway, I don't know how I graduated from high school or survived it. I was only there for two years, but I couldn't wait. I kind of couldn't wait to get out of there. My senior year was a blur, total blur. I was an abs- I was out of out of control. I lost my virginity. Don't even remember who. Really, wow. I liked one certain guy in high school, right away, and I he liked me too, but. He tried to force me to have sex with him on our first date. And I I was a virgin. And I said no. And so he wouldn't go out with me anymore. So then I decided, you know what? I talked it over with my sister. I need need to lose my virginity. So the next guy that came along, hey, rack ride guy. What is that conversation like with your sister? Well, it was part of the feminist movement. And they would say you, you should probably have sex before you marry because then you know kind of what to do. What and you Yeah, mm-hmm. and who, what you like. And, you know, of course, live from pit of hell. So I basically threw it away. Or it was a huge deal. Sure. But then I got my brain reprogrammed. So then now that it's gone, I'm a, I'm a free agent. I started just dating random people that I would run into at... Um, bars or at school or mm-hmm. anywhere, wherever. Part of work. that feminist movement too is that 
it almost puts you in the driver's seat of being the player, right? Because for years it was like the mean guy who just wants to have sex. It's going from girl to girl, but it kind of puts the girl in the driver's seat of being like that and says like, you could be like that. You can be the heartbreaker, right? Right. And almost like there's no um, collateral damage to it. Exactly. Wow. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. You're looking and then you're also not really attached uh, to right. the guy. Right. Which is also kind of a bummer because really innately, really all we really want are to be wives and mothers. And so you and have be that. loved by a guy. And be loved yeah. by someone. Yeah. Just that, you know, that monogamous relationship. And so it's, it is a big fat lie and it does break you down. It hurts deeply. It rips your heart to shreds. So what you have to do um, in order to survive it is continue to be high, use anesthetics, Mm -hmm. alcohol, and whatever Mm -hmm. other things you can find. It was stupid. I mean, and of course, then you start feeling the effects of the guilt coming on you. And so then you got to drink more to just escape it. So So when you guys got back there, were your parents still taking you to church and we quit going to church and they wouldn't go because the pastor of the Christian church in the town smoked and they, they didn't believe in that. My parents, neither one of them drank or smoked their whole lives because they were Christians. My, my mom was raised in the Christian church. And when he, when my dad posed to her, it was in that town on a hayride. Oh yeah. He jumped up on the hay rack next to her and said, what's your name? Anyway, my her dad made him go to church and profess to be a Christian oh, wow. in order to marry her. So he made a commitment to him, and he took us to church until that oh, juncture. Wow! So that was a huge part, and it was weird because all the other kids went to church, but they went to the Methodist church and the Catholic church, and some a couple of them went to the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And I would go, does the pastor smoke? We couldn't believe it, but the the Catholics would always go to church on Saturday night. And I was like, why do you go on Saturday? And they're like, so we can go out and party and don't have to get up in the morning on Sunday. To me, that was like, okay, this yeah. has nothing to do with... Sir- yeah, it yeah. didn't make sense. What I was, the kind of Christian... Scratching a religious itch. Yeah, yeah, checking mm-hmm. the box. It was weird. So your senior year, your sister's off in college. And... And it was all a blur, you were saying. Somehow I graduated. <laughs> oh, I remember being called on the carpet for just being doing what I was supposed to. This one instructor was, I took a bunch of business classes and she just, she she hauled me into the office and laid into me because I was just such a class clown, laugh all the time. She saw me copying off somebody else's paper in accounting class. I was like, I understand the material. I'm just getting caught up. I wouldn't do my homework. That was a huge, because I was partying. You know, how can you do any homework yeah, <laughs> like that? Yeah. I, I remember being very convicted about that and realizing she she nailed it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a screw up, but I didn't know what to do about it. Is that, what did she say to you? What do you remember? She said, you are, you are setting a path for yourself that's destruct, so destructive and your, your life is just going to be, she goes, you, you need to, you need to hunker down and do your work and think about what's ahead of you your future is right before you and I was just like rah 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 who cares Mm -hmm. I was just always the biggest thrill for me was making other people laugh 
So anyway, this tea is fantastic, by the way. <laughs> it is. Um, it is. Really hopefully, good. I don't slurp it too loud for the <laughs> podcast. I know. I finally graduated. I my parents were like, "Hey, guess what? Your your dad moved away to Wyoming." And I'm like, "Yeah." On my birthday, and he got a job in Wyoming as a master electrician because he had his master's license and they wanted to use it out there. And he was sick of trying to d- make a living out there. Kind of was thinking I was going to go with the family to Wyoming. My mom said, Care, get ready. Gramps is taking you to, to Des Moines today. You're going to live with your sister. I was like, oh, just like that? I'm being carted off and dropped off. I was, was kind the, of shell-shocked by that. What was the reasoning behind it? I was 18. Okay. And Time to Yeah, be I was done. They were done. They were done with me. They were like, well, if we put her with Allison, she probably won't kill herself. But so it had gotten bad your senior year. Uh-huh. Bad alcohol-wise. Yeah. And so this wasn't a secret every anymore. weekend. It okay. was no. No, and you know, I wasn't a nice person anymore cuz I was hung over a lot and so I, I would sleep all day and be grouchy and yeah. I I was a lot of work <laughs> at that point. And then that was it. And this this one guy that my brothers delivered newspapers for said, "Hey, what do you like to do? I know I know a a job that you could get. I I know a lot of people in in Des Moines." And he said, "I said I'm I like art because I wanted to go to Colorado Institute of Art, my, but my dad saw what I was doing and he said, "Nope. Nope, no matter what angle I tried. Nope. It's 25 grand a year. Aww. He wasn't going to foot that bill." He said, I saw what you did in high school. You're mm-hmm. not responsible. And he was really, my dad was very wise. He mm-hmm. knew. So I decided to take classes at the community college where my sister was going to school for her nurse's degree and just pay for classes myself as I could and get a job in Des Moines. One day I was in rural Iowa with my horse and my brother's pigs. And the next day I'm in the big city. And my sister and I shared a car. I remember that. Still, we had to share a car. And she would go to class and I would go to work and then because she could walk to class. And uh, I ended up becoming pretty good at picture framing. That's the job I got. It was in an art gallery that did framing. And the guy taught me how to frame. And I loved it. And he put me as the manager. And um, so I got a little raise. And he had a friend who was a banker and he helped me get a car. All this time I'm partying. My sister and I drop dead drunk every weekend, every single weekend. And um, I don't know how she got through nursing school with me down there because she was fine until I showed up. And then she she befriended this girl in nursing school, me and her and the friend, Mary. We were inseparable. We went everywhere together. We were bar hopping and somebody introduced us to Speed. Don't remember who it was. I think my sister diet pills and she told me our mom used to take them and I was like what she goes yeah they prescribe them for ladies to lose weight mm-hmm. little capsules Is that true mm-hmm. yeah they don't still do that it's a different kind Holy! but cow. yeah you can get diet pills I don't know if you can get those kind anymore oh, wow. they were basically they were what, what do everybody get hooked on now Oh, like Adderall. Amphet- they Adderall. were am- amphetamine. They were amphetamines. Oh, okay. Yeah, because even now, like, you can take... Fen- 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 the other one, fentanyl? Fen- no. fen- fen- one of them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Wait, don't For Adderall would make weight? you... 
calm down. I think it? Adderall's for ADD. ADD. ADD, but there's another one that you oh, could take. Oh, it is an amphetamine, though. But you could take one, like they say a lot of people in, when they're trying to pull all-nighters in college, they'll that's take what them. they take. Yeah, they take It's mm-hmm. like speed. Yeah. Yeah. Legal speed. And that's how kids get addicted Mm-hmm. into adulthood because they don't know how to it wean off of it. Mm-hmm. I know it's infuriating. Hey. I never asked my mother. I didn't. My sister knew so much more than I did because she was the oldest. She was the confidant. Yeah. She spent time with my, our mom. I was a tomboy. I hung out with the boys. I went outside. I played outside when I was a little kid. I did not hang out in the house. I mean, I remember trying to sew something when I was a kid. My mother <laughs> and my sister were Allison was making lined ladies' jackets when she was 12. Wow. Oh, my God. And I tried to take home ec and learn how to sew, you know, because there's no way they they could teach me because I didn't listen. And, I mean, the first thing I brought home from home ec, my mother was just like, oh, Carrie Beth. She couldn't believe it. Anyway. You started taking speed. We started taking speed. And that was our new drug of choice. And that became really basically my go-to, that and alcohol. And then the guys, she she got a boyfriend, and all his friends would hang out, and they kind of passed me around, and then every now and then I'd meet some guy at a bar, you know, it was just, ooh, grossness over and over again. And just me and my sister would have meltdowns. Every once in a while, we would stay home and just bawl our eyes out because we were so hurt. We were just hurting ourselves, but we didn't know the answer, how to get out of it. Tell me a little bit more about that. She would have a lot of introspective moments. And usually after several beers or whatever she was drinking. And it would just... And then she'd get me crying. And we would just... And then we'd say, we miss our our family. Because it was just me, you know, she and I there and the boys. My brother Mark wouldn't talk to me on the phone for a year. Because he was my best bud. And... He was like five when, when I was graduating. And so he would not talk to me on the phone because he didn't want to cry. Aww. Yeah. But we started the, them on the partying, the too. The one. The two after us, we showed them, here's what we do. We get drunk. We do drugs. And they started up, and they gave our parents, all five of them gave our parents such hard times with marijuana, everything, drinking and marijuana mostly in Wyoming. And when we'd visit them, that's what we would do. We'd hide out in a room, all seven of us, and smoke pot and just hang out. Our parents would be like, what's going on in here, you guys? Why don't you come out? You know, it was Christmas or something. We'd drive to Wyoming to hang out with them. And it was weird because people would go home, but Wyoming wasn't our home. Mm. It wasn't. Yeah, you had never really lived there. Uh-uh. Right, yeah, and so we didn't go see our old high school buddies or anything like that. And our Colorado ones were too far distant. The, the partying progressed, progressed. And I remember at work, my boss was this older gentleman that was, I guess you could call him kind of a player. You know, he had the, the big collars, like the, the big shirt collars and he smoked these like really long cigarettes and he would just ask you the most intimate questions while you're framing pictures and you know he's watching your butt too stuff like that Uh and I I always kind of got the heebie-jeebies from him but one night he and his friend they brought a whole bunch of pot to the shop after the mall closed and my 
my workmate, me, the boss, and the boss's friend sat around and got really stoned. And I wasn't a pot smoker. I was wiped out. And that guy took advantage of me, my boss, 19 years old, on the floor of the frame shop. And then I had to look at his wife the next day. So now I have no moral compass anymore. I am completely Did you tell anybody that happened? Like, do you remember going home that night and you told your sister? I think she's the only one. Did you feel like, because I know a lot of people feel sometimes like, it's your fault like what did i do absolutely what did i do that he thought that this is what i wanted kind of thing totally and now you know in hindsight now i look back and go that guy totally sexually totally Mm -hmm. predated he did that to me Mm -hmm. as a kid i had no even the words to say i was a child still and he was Mm -hmm. 40 maybe older I don't even remember. His name was Tom Bachner. I hated his guts for years. Wow. And how awkward you Oh, going back to work was back so up. Awkward. He had the pressure on me so bad. He used to work for Sears, and it was all about sales, 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 sales. And the pressure was always on, and he was constantly grooming me to be the top salesperson in the gallery. And let's frame all the pictures all the time. Oh. God, my, my life was so stressful at that time. What was it like when you came back to work and you saw him? Did he pretend like nothing ever happened? Yeah, in front of people until we were in the back room. And then he'd say stuff, like make make comments like, so did you enjoy yourself the other night? And like that and stuff. It was, it was just so oh, slimy. And he was married. Sli- and his wife was the sweetest, most precious girl. Oh. She really was. That's wicked. Yeah. And he always hired cute young girls. Yeah, he knew what he was yeah, doing. That wasn't did. the first time. I'm no, sure. I don't think so. Now that I look back at it, I no. don't think it was. But I remember when I soured on working for him. It just hit me one day. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't work for that guy anymore. And so I started kind of sneaking around looking for other jobs. And I remember I was sitting in one of the little cafes at the mall and I was talking to somebody that I saw every day at the cafe and I just said, I got to get out of this job. I got to get away from that guy. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw him standing back there. He heard me. And when I got back to the shop after my break, he goes, so you're looking for a job. I just want to tell you something. If you get a job at the competition, like another frame shop in town, I will hunt you down and tell them about you. Like that. He threatened me. And I'm like, so now I'm thinking, I can't work at it as a framer now, a picture mm-hmm. framer. That's my career right now. I mean, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do? So I completely quit. I got a job at a gas station and I vacuumed floors. And what else? I had a third job. I can't remember what it was. One more weird just thing to pay the bills. By this time, my cousin Kim and I had gotten an apartment together. And she was a hearty party here too. God's forgiven me of so much. You guys, I was racking up the sin. Like, it was piling up to the sky. And I was feeling the weight of it too. So I just had to keep partying. My sister was getting married. And Kim got us a gram of Coke. That was day one, phase one of 
my beginnings as a Coke person. Wow. Wait, and so she did that on the day of the wedding? Mm-hmm. We were going to be snorting Coke on the wedding. So was it now like Speed and Coke or what? Yeah, probably. I mean, I remember, oh, I know. I worked at a bar. <laughs> As a cocktail waitress. That was your third job. Yeah, I remember walking in there. We had a big night. It was going to be a huge night. And my boss, it was a lady, thank God, Jackie. She was like, okay, I'm going to have you work the cocktail hour, 5 o'clock to 10, and then go home and then come back and do the late shift. I'm like, okay. So guess what I did while I was off work? Got wasted and found myself some little speed pills called pink ladies and i came rushing back in for my second shift i got pink ladies i went up to the bartenders and i was like you guys do you want to buy some speed seriously i'm selling speed openly in the bar to the bartenders and anybody else that wanted any i'm taking checks cash whatever for speed it was insane and that night, the, my first tray of drinks, I remember that second shift, my very first tray of drinks had like 50 orders. <laughs> I turned around from the bar and spilled the entire thing on somebody's brand new leather coat. Jackie had to pay for that. Oh my goodness. She took it out of my check, I think, eventually. <laughs> she was not amused at all. And all this time, I've got all these weird boyfriends and ooh, there was this bartender that took a shine, shine to me. And his name was Joel. And I kind of liked him too. He was more mature, but not old, like some of these others. And we started dating. And we were we were talking about maybe living together. And this is when I still lived with my cousin Kim. And it got serious there for a little while. And then I ended up pregnant. And we were driving down the street. And I don't know what I said, but he hauled off and slugged me smacked me hard backhanded me and I hit the window with my head and I was like stop the truck right now I made him let me out and I went and aborted his baby because my sister said typically guys that abuse women will abuse their children too you probably don't want to have bring a baby into this world that is going to be abused wow so I made the decision to abort my baby because of that and pretty much that ended the relationship. He didn't really want to be with me, and I didn't want to be with him. So did he know you were pregnant? Uh-huh, yeah. He cried and begged me to have the baby and give it to him. And I, was, I basically told him, screamed at him, if I give you a baby that you decide to abuse, what's the difference mm. between just mercifully ending its life now sure. before... It has to experience the pain of being brought up by an abusive father. So I thought I was doing a mercy killing. Sure. You know, I was justifying it that way because, I mean, how else can you justify murdering your own baby? So this whole theology, feminist theology, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that because you're, what year were you born? 60. Just that was to, like place you mm. in history. So abortion was legalized for how long? Oh, Roe v. Wade, 1973. It was a huge and deal. And you aborted your baby in... 79, 80, 79. So mm-hmm. it was kind of newer or mm-hmm. 
Because my sister had gone into the medical. She'd been it very was looked at more like, oh, big time. And so it's this liberating thing that women are allowed to do now. And now you don't have freedom to have of choice. I remember mm. the book coming out, Our Bodies Ourselves. My Aunt Christine had that and she ins- uh, insisted I read it, uh, which I did. Can I tell you, can. you this? Tell me. When I was in junior high school in Colorado Springs, Colorado, I claimed to be a Christian. I had Christian friends at school. And in a civics or something class, our teacher challenged us to do a debate. And my Christian friend chose to do one on abortion against it. And I was already her friend, so I immediately had to be on her platform. And the day of the debate, she was sick. She was like, you're a Christian. You can carry your own. Come on, you'll be fine. She's giving me a pep talk or she was. She knew she wasn't going to be there. Oh my gosh. I could not stand up and speak against it for the life of me. I had no, like, already starting to think it was okay at that time. Because I had already started being brainwashed by the culture. TV, we never turned our TV off. My mom turned it on at 6 o'clock in the morning for Captain Kangaroo, and she shut it off at night when the anthem played. And it was constant liberalism. Walter Cronkite. Hardcore liberal. And so that, and then the the media was print back then. So it was the magazines. My sister and I started reading reading teen magazines Mm -hmm. when we were, and then as we got older, we would buy the older ones, the Vogues and the, those were hard liberalism, feminism, big time. And so we were brainwashed by the media. Plus we weren't going to church anymore. So, but I walked into Planned Parenthood. And I remember this lady with a big fro did my pregnancy test. And she came into the room after it came back positive And she goes, you're pregnant. And you are going to terminate, aren't you? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she goes, okay, well, we'll help you out, honey. Come on, let's make an appointment. Wow. And I think it was 300 bucks, which was a lot of money to me back then. I don't remember how I got it, but I was hell-bent to get an abortion. Do you remember going and telling him that you aborted the baby? Mm-hmm. What was he his cried. reaction? He cried. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then he basically left, and I just said, well, I just I just brushed the dust off and walked mm-hmm. up. I just said. And then that's when you left the bartending scene. I had this guy in our apartment complex that I would go up to his apartment every night after I got off work, and he was an old man, like 80s, probably maybe I thought he was looked like he was in his 80s. He was probably in his 60s, the age I am yeah. now. <laughs> but to me, he was really old yeah, and yeah, very yeah. wise. And he was like, come upstairs, come upstairs. I, I've got a spleef. So I got in the habit of going up there to his apartment uh, and watch Johnny Carson with him and smoke, smoke pot. And he talked me into going to college. He's like, you can do it. You're so smart. You're throwing your life away if you don't do it. You know, and he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I always wanted to go to art school. And he goes, well, then do it. And he mm. talked me through getting my grants and my loans and my applying. And that guy was a character. That guy inspired me. And then he never tried to make any moves on me or anything like that. But that's what men were always... I, I started hating men. I couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand it when they would grab my butt at the bar. It was just like... Yeah. I started adopting this... weird attitude towards men like a real combative and I would take that with me to the bars at night and I remember several different times being asked out and just telling them to 
Wow. Take a hike and not using those words. Sure. You know, I remember getting this close to brawls, all out brawls with men at bars. We got to get out of here. Me and the other barmaid, we were just like, we got to stop. We got to get, we got to quit because we couldn't stand it anymore. And right before Allison's wedding, um, I was all set to go to school. It was the summer. Everybody came to Des Moines for the wedding. And Kim shows up. We're the bridesmaid. I'm the bridesmaid. She goes, care. You got to try this. And I go, what is it? I'm thinking speed or something, you know, a pill. She pulls out this little envelope out this big and I go what 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 do you got Kim because she and I had taken acid before together and I said is it acid I was mm-hmm. thinking we're gonna trip during my sister's mm-hmm. wedding and I go because I ain't doing that I gotta be up there on the at the church mm-hmm. I'm not doing that she goes no it's coke cocaine and I go oh let's do it she goes it's like speed so I said okay let's let's do it so she showed me how to chop it up and snort it to me, that was the drug. If there was ever a drug invented, that was the one it's for me. Drug of choice. Exactly. Yeah. I found my drug. That's why in the programs they do call it drug of choice because mm-hmm. there's certain things that hit people certain ways, and that was the one for me. Mm-hmm. After that, I never wanted really anything else. Alcohol, but that. And so I, I never forgot that. And I, I enrolled in school and... I went to school and the instructor said, hey, you're pretty good. There's a girl at a frame shop that wants to hire somebody. And I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to work at frame shops. I was told no. But I didn't tell him that. He was just like, just go talk to her and apply. And so I went in there and she hired me on the spot because I knew how to frame. Yeah. I could just start working. So I worked for that girl for a year. She was an absolute narcissist. Like I thought my life was crazy. Hers was off the charts, nutty. And I was like, I work with a crazy person. (laughs) And then one day they fired her and I became the manager. Oh, wow. And it was two years into college and they put out this coupon and we were packed. So I had to quit school, unfortunately, in my junior year. But I'd already gotten my associate's degree. So art school was like a breeze. So fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. And I could just be as crazy. And it was the 80s and everybody was spiking their hair and dressing like crazy. And if you were an artist, you were expected to do that. So I kind of got into that crowd. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the punk rock. The music Mm -hmm. was changing and everything. And and so I uh, got a whole group of new friends that were artists. And then I had my frame shop where I had I had to look a certain way because I'm an art student. <laughs> you know, sure. People started coming into the shop to have me wait on them. So I started building a clientele over time. And one day I walked into this little bar next door to the to the frame shop. My, my manager at the shop said, hey, let's go next door and ha- let's close the doors and go next door and ha- drink our lunch. And I'm like, no, we can't do that. I never drank during the day when I was supposed to be responsible. But she mm-hmm. insisted it would be fine. So we ordered huge beers, locked up the frame shop, put a sign up, gone to lunch, and started playing Pac-Man at this little table. (laughs) So that would be, that was our new thing that we would do every day. We'd go over there and play Pac-Man and drink our lunch. She always waited to have lunch until I got there after school. And one day in that little bar happened in this guy. And there was also a, a Jewish deli on the other side of the bar. It was the deli, then the bar, then the frame shop. And so the guy 
was a Jewish guy that would always go and get bagels at the deli, and he decided to run into the bar and have a beer. And we got to talking to that guy, and we started laughing and having the best time. So much fun. And then, of course, we had to go back to work, but we exchanged phone numbers with this guy. His name was Jimmy. He was the president of the Jewish Foundation in town, and he was a prominent CPA. He had a huge certified public accountant firm. I was 20. He was 40. And so Jimmy started coming over for our our lunch, and we would just spend an hour a day pretty much getting to know Jimmy and playing Pac-Man and just anyway. So push came to shove. Jimmy started to call me. And I'm like, you're a married man. I'm not going out with you. He tell you he was married? Yeah. He had a ring on too. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, but we don't get along and I really could, you know, use a few laughs. We'll just date. We'll just go out and have dinner. That's how it started. And when he was- Did in- he know you did drugs? Yes. He, he wanted me to smoke pot with him. And I said, I really don't like, I, cause I had deadlines at school. And I did not want to be stoned because if ever I would smoke with him, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. I can't get anything done because I had to finish drawings and stuff by a certain day. And I'd start like rearranging my kitchen cabinets. So (laughs) it was not effective for me. So he goes, well, what drug do you like? And I said, oh, you really want to know that? I said, cocaine. That's my favorite drug. And he goes, really? Interesting. Okay. And the next thing you know, he showed up with cocaine. Wow. And that was the beginning for me. I had a supplier, and he was a sugar daddy supplier. Wow. I didn't have to spend. I was a poor, starving artist student, and I worked a part-time job to barely pay my rent. Yeah, how would you get that on your own? My sister sent me money so I could pay my rent. That guy could afford to buy me as much as I want. Anytime I wanted it, I had baggies, huge quantities. Wow. And we started having sex. Mm-hmm. And so what What was the, I mean, was there guilt for it? Were you? Oh, horrible. One time he invited me over to his house and his wife was there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tell me about her. How was she so oblivious? What was her vibe? This is from Jimmy. He told me that someone saw Jimmy and I together and they told her and she said there's no way because Jimmy would never date anyone else with his condition he had um, been born with spina bifida so he had a a leg that was on on a brace and he was kind of self-conscious of it and so she thought that was insurance against him ever having a relationship and cheating on her but it wasn't. So she was just in straight denial of what was happening. Totally. Did not totally. realize it at all. And she was, at that time in her life, I think she was digging deep into her Judaism. Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was learning Hebrew and she's making sojourns to Israel a lot. So she was gone a wow. lot. And she, as a matter of fact, when I was there, her Talmud or whatever Bible was open, the Hebrew one, mm-hmm. and she had notes and everything on the table right there. So how did, who did he introduce you as? Um, oh, at that time he had me framing a bunch of, of artwork for his daughter who okay. was who cut a recording and he, he was promoting her. 
Her name was Vicky, and she did a song. And so he was you were music- the framer. Yeah, I was just the picture framer. So you were saying that you did feel guilt. Like, yeah. when would that come on? Like, how would you? At night, when I after he left me. Okay. Because he always had to go home. What would you do if we're feeling it? Did you talk to someone about it? Or were you too ashamed to tell I would people? put it out of my mind. I would try okay. to. Probably the way I dealt with it most was alcohol and working. And what was your attraction to him? He was hilarious. He was so much fun. And he had a lot of money. He would always mm. throw money at me. Drugs, money, funny. Booze, Got just it. partying. We went to Vegas together. Just, we had fun. And part of part of the mystique was that playing danger, sneaking around, sure, finding places to sure. meet and stuff. It's like that. It's the thrill, the thrill, the thrill of. So, how did that end? What happened with that relationship? How long did did it go on? It went off and on. We went in and out of dating for probably seven, eight years. Nice. Jimmy wanted to marry me. He would sit there. I mean, he would say, "So, if I divorce, if I got a divorce, would you marry me?" And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And he's like, but you'd have to convert to Judaism. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, you have to renounce Jesus Christ. And you said you're a Christian. And I was like, that's fine. See, by this time, I had no... anything. But God has brought all that back to my mind. Wow. Whoa. I was willing to. Whoa. To become Jewish, to be his wife. How? What a confusing message, dude. Right? I mean, he was you're, he you're was orthodox. A, you're an orthodox Jew. He observed your Shabbos. Year old girlfriend yeah. high as a kite on cocaine. One well, night, I was cheating on your wife, yeah. but she has to convert to Judaism and denounce Jesus, right? Because you're a moral. Is that man. the most insane thing you've that ever is heard of? So insane. Like that yeah. was the deal breaker. Not yeah. all the other. You know, <laughs> you know it's on, like man. okay. I know. Again, it's weird how. People will justify their sin by being super self-righteous in one area. Very religious. That is true. When you Check meet, and box. dude, I get like, you feel what the are you hiding, dude? Like you're trying to overcompensate for something horrible that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. It was right. it was slimy ooh. Well, and then even still, like he's being a gentleman because he's getting something. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, it's yeah. like you're he not very much better than the other guy. Yeah. No. Ay ay ay. Anyways. So whatever. What happened with that? Oh, he got mad at me once because during our relationship, we'd go, we'd meet at bars, we'd go to restaurants. He had a club, a club membership for the big ritzy club in town, and we'd eat dinner there just places where he could kind of make up a story about me started partying without jimmy because he was giving me enough that i didn't have to wait for him to come over he would just bring bags over to my frame shop and this is when i got that silent partner and i'm what do you mean you got a silent partner he made it so i could leave my job that i had and the next day start a new shop he had the money Oh, because okay. he wanted he wanted to start a business, but he had no idea how. Okay, and he just started coming into my frame shop, asking me a million questions about it, and what you know, mm-hmm. would I be willing to? This start is your one silent partner, him? not Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he happened to know Jimmy, and then he found out that I was dating Jimmy, and it was like this big hush hush thing, and it was weird. I always thought, oh, 
His wife is going to find out for sure. Did she ever find out? She probably did down the line when I left town. Because I was manager and I I became very bossy. And I had employees and I had a business to run during the day. Mm -hmm. So I had it all together during the day. I was functioning as an alcoholic and a drug addict. And the drugs never dried up. They just never dried up. I see. And then Jimmy became kind of background a little bit. And then people started appearing back into my life from my little small town that I graduated from. So I had like three or four boyfriends at the same time. It was really oh, confusing. Gosh, <laughs> I know. It was hard managing all of that. But and I never let myself come down completely ever. Yeah. I was always doing something. Yeah, that's how I'm kind of picturing is like someone that's like, whatever, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like take I could take it or leave it. You're not really feeling the emotion of I'm just flying, even flying like, high for did me. Did your boyfriends know about each other? Or you kept them they, separate? They found out. A couple of them found out about each other. I was just too wild. But yeah, I always had somebody to party with. And I remember one night that couple, they were cocaine addicts. And her and her husband would pick me up from work and we'd just go to the dealer. And I was the contact to the dealer. Because Jimmy, Jimmy started importing kilos from Peru. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm, via... FedEx. He got hooked too then. Oh yeah, that's okay. big time. That's and he okay. and he started selling, distributing. <gasps> oh my! I remember I was with that couple one night, and we pulled into this gas station, and there was this guy there, and I took one look at him, and I was smitten. And I found out everything I could about him, and I pursued. First time I've ever oh done that. Goodness. Like usually guys would come after me. This one I went after. He was like a Barbie doll, only he was a Ken doll. He was gorgeous. Come to find out he's gay. Gay. I knew it! But he, because I was just chill, I didn't care one way or the other, he actually left his boyfriend to live with me. Well? Yeah. And She turned him straight. Well, not completely. Um, (laughs) Towards the end of our relationship, I remember getting, he said he was bisexual. And, and Jimmy... that's kind of, things fell apart with Jimmy, but I could still talk him into getting me whatever I wanted uh, as far as cocaine. So this new guy, Chris, yes. is he ad- addicted to coke already? No, or he's, he... he's not. He's an alcoholic. As a matter of fact, he was so alcohol driven that he could barely hold a job down. And so I ended up supporting him. Wow. By then I had gotten my degree and I had started my own shop. And so I made really How did you money. feel supporting him? Were you happy to do it? Did it make you feel empowered it, because of your ideology or was it totally, like irritating? Totally. I'm the provider. I'm the big man on campus. But there was also a side of me that said, you little scum, go get a job. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so you didn't. I was told. Do you feel like you respected him? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it I was made pissed you off at him most of the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there came a point where he got pissed off at me too because he did not appreciate the fact that I was using cocaine all day, every day, from morning to night. Mm-hmm. And I kept renting all the apartments and paying for everything. And he basically was a musician, played in the bars. One time that guy came to my apartment. It was our apartment. He shows up, he just walks in and he's got this look on his face and I'm like, Chris, what's going on? And he's like, 
he didn't say anything. He just walked into the bedroom and I had one of those 40s Art Deco waterfall bureaus with the big mirror on it. Mm. And he pulled the drawers out and just started shattering them on my floor. (gasps) And I was like freaking out. And he was looking for my drugs. He got mad somehow. I think he went out and got completely schnockered on who knows what because he took any drug. He didn't care. He used to take door-to-door political surveys. And one of the things he would do is put on this zippered jumpsuit. And the farmers in the small towns where they would canvas loved that he was dressed like a little farm boy. He called it his farmer charmer suit. But he would go, is there any way I can use your restroom real quick? We're just, we've been canvassing the neighborhood and I really need to use the bathroom. So he'd go into their bathroom and get all their drugs. Oh my God. And that's what he would do. He would drink and then take random unknown pills. He would swallow them whole. They're all water pills. That's why he had to pee so much. Oh, he had, he had who knows what pills in there. It was like he had a vitamin C bottle full of random pills oh my gosh and I, I actually saved his life one night he had a grand mal seizure right in front of me because he did Holy that but cow. um he came home one time this is a different time and it was just me and him and he started shattering all my stuff looking for my drugs and i didn't have really have any i had paraphernalia but i didn't really have any drugs which was a rare moment he freaked out on me like started fighting me and i could tell he was not in his right mind so I just took him down because I used to wrestle. My brothers were wrestlers. They taught me all the moves. And I had him in a headlock on the floor, and I was killing him. I was choking him to death. I had him in a chokehold. His head was right here. And I heard him choking to death. And I was like, you're going to kill him. So I let him go. And he got up and started hitting me again. <gasps> Guy was abusive. Anyway, all of that was just on me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that and that and that and that. All of this stuff that I inflicted upon myself. How and long he, was that relationship? four years we were gonna get married I'm glad we didn't why what interested you in getting married with that mindset was there just a part of you that wanted to feel like you were with your forever person or that you had a love story what do you remember about that just uh the part of being a woman that's you want to get married and have kids and have a real life I don't know if kids were so much in my picture because by this time I had, I had aborted a second child. Tell but me about that. That was a freak accident. I was in a relationship with Chris. I was actually between sort of checking out of my relationship with Jimmy and checking into a new one with Chris. And I had a fling with a guy that I had dated for a short period of time. And we'd already ended things, but we ran into each other at a bar one night and ended up having sex. And that was, he was already dating someone else. And when I found out I was pregnant and he was actually, they were talking about getting serious together. Oh, I see him and and another girl. When I found out I was pregnant and told him he wanted, he wanted to end everything he was already doing with her. He wanted to do the right thing and marry me. He was this raised Catholic. Is, like, is hmm. the selfish me did not want to quit partying, and I knew I'd have to. So the second guy, you didn't care much about him. It was literally just like a one-off. Thing. I would say, I would say, I really loved Marty, but it was already over, 
and I, I knew he had other plants, and gotcha. I didn't want to ruin them for him. That one hurt. That one hurt bad. So as a matter of fact, when I went to have the procedure done, I lost it. As a matter of fact, I lost it while I was waiting for the procedure to be done. Wow. But I didn't leave. I should have left. There was everything in me said, don't do this. But I couldn't imagine how to manage it if I didn't, how to manage my life if I didn't. And I didn't have anybody to come up and go, oh, look, no, we have resources. We can help you. Mm-hmm. Like now there's there women mm-hmm. of the crisis pregnancy centers and stuff mm-hmm. take that as, and maybe they did back then too, but I had you no idea they it. existed. Yeah. All I knew was that there was a place that you could go get it taken care of. And when you walked in those doors, those feminazis just said, come on, honey, Shut let's go you. take care of this. And then when I was walking out of there, my friend picked me up. And she cried with me. And then Marty came over and cried with me for another three or four days straight. It was his baby, too. That's what we forget. They make it all about. I saw this really funny clip. I mean, it's dark humor. And he's like, yeah, it's funny how five minutes before it's your baby, it's your body, it's your choice. But if you push that baby out, I got to pay child support for the next 18 years. You know, right. so is it my baby or not? And I'm like, right. man, you know, there's a lot of, ooh, a lot of heaviness there. A lot of lies. Yeah. So you said that he came over, he cried with you. He was really sweet. I remember being outside my frame shop and him sitting there. We were standing outside the frame shop to talk privately. And he begged me not to get an abortion. And he painted the picture for me. He said how we would get married, how we would raise this baby together and we would make it work he pitched it he tried to sell me on the idea and i i wouldn't agree because i already knew that he loved karen and i think she was a rebound girl i don't think he was even full on with her Mm. but i had just heard through the grapevine that he was and then i wasn't willing to i don't know why i'm i'm a selfish bigoted person that when I get something in my mind, ask my husband. You have to literally fight me. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't fighting me hard enough. You had so your mindset. I had my mindset. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. I'm pig-headed. And way pig-headed then. Yeah. God's shown me that over yeah. the years. Thank God. I mean, pride is a wicked monster and it kept me from admitting i was wrong about sin the sin my sister and i involved ourselves in and lifestyle for years years really this is probably my bottom sin my first sin was pride remember i told you when i was 12 Mm -hmm. i was too proud to say to the pastor that i didn't really want to give my whole heart i would say it inside I was going to be master of my own destiny. I would lie before I would tell the truth about my true feelings. That's really powerful. That pride, because that's the father. Yeah, that was the root for me. And I'll tell you, Melissa, the day, literally the day I got saved and like asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart in a rehab center 
in Iowa was the day that God showed me that pride was what stopped me. Because the hardest thing for me to do that day in that rehab center was humble myself enough to admit I was a sinner. That moment, it was like, now you have to admit that you're proud because I, I won't allow it. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah. I ended up, I ended up years of sin, mm-hmm. but pride was what kept me in it. I was just a free agent. It was just me out there in the world. Wow. Tripping over obstacles and getting back up and going to work. I was a workaholic. I had deadlines every single day at work. I worked retail, but it was like, it was very stressful. Everybody that walked through the doors of that frame shop wanted me to create something magical for them. So I had to not only do magic and convince them it was going to be magical and then make it, like physically make the thing, unveil it. I mean, it was just, it was this big show all the time. It was an act. And you never had downtime, you know? Ever. Because your downtime, your party. I was open every day of the week. I'd been framing now for years in that town. Mm-hmm. And they always followed me from shop to shop. Kind of like you get a good hair designer. Mm-hmm. You, you follow them wherever they go. So now I was large and in charge. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had an actual business partner. His name was Dave. I had this one friend named Rini from art school. And she and her boyfriend would rebase with a spoon and some weird stuff. I didn't even know what they were doing. But I found all this stuff in my apartment. And she told me about it. And she said, it's way better, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of thinking, hmm, interesting. Because I was snorting a lot. And my sinuses were shot from snorting so much. Like really, I could hardly breathe anymore. And people were talking about deviating their septums and probably going to have to have surgery. And I didn't want that to happen. So one night it was Halloween and I had a big, the whole street where my shop was had a big event and a bunch of people came, you know, just random people for the event. And it was like, we had an art opening in ours and I had a bunch of my friends from my college where I went, graduated from art school and they were displaying their work and we had neon signs that we made everywhere. It was really neat. And this one guy walked in and he knew Jimmy. I'd heard about him. I'd never met him before. And he was like, oh, come with us. We'll show you how to smoke cocaine. So I was like, that night I went off with those guys and I didn't go home to my house for nine days. I like fell off the face of the earth. So while you're like normally there seven days a week and then all of a sudden just gone. I They probably thought you died. Chris showed up over there and just started doing the drug with us. After that binge, I couldn't walk upstairs to my bedroom. I fell asleep on the stairs for like 12 hours straight. I woke up on the stairs. Jimmy was still supplying me. And so I was getting more quantities more often. And I finally admitted that I was smoke that I was rocking it up and smoking it. And I, so I just did it at home in my basement, like a mad scientist, you know, I had a little area set up. All I did rock it up and I'd stay up all night long, night after night and go to work. It was nuts. It was insane. Would you eat? No, you can't eat. And that's when everybody started saying, you don't look right. 
And I started looking at myself in the mirror. My bones were sticking out. I was getting really skinny. My clothes didn't fit. And um, I got scared. I got freaked out scared. And um, that's when we and decided. And you felt like you couldn't stop? Oh, yeah. No way. I had no idea how. I started trying to tell myself to stop. That was the first time in my life I ever said, I need to stop this. And how old were you at the time? 28. So you would wow. you would run your business and then you would go home and cook up your own meth and smoke mm-hmm. it. I'd okay. go to Jimmy's to get it. He'd leave it outside and we had a pickup point. See, he's helping you kill yourself, dude. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And you wouldn't pay for it or you would? I'm oh, just yeah. curious. I started selling it. And then because I had the rock, people, just random people showed up at my house all the time and I could never get them out of there. I One time I was at the head shop and... That was a thing where you could buy paraphernalia for different drugs. And I was there and I was saw these little bottles with rocks in them that looked just like crack, homemade crack like I was making. And I was like, what is this? And the guy said, oh, that's fake crack. It kind of makes you feel like you're choking to death. And I was like, perfect, I'll take some. So I bought that and that's how I got rid of people out of my house. Last uh... hit, I put that in the and make them leave. I made him put their coat on. Oh, I was ruthless. I remember I, we were smoking, 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 smoking. I set the pipe down in the middle of the room, and I left. And I went around. It was like a Jack and Jill, so I could sneak in from the other side. Mm-hmm. And I watched to see what they were doing. And when they reached for the pipe, I just went in there, and I just started kicking and hitting people and just tearing them up. I said, you can't touch that pipe. I mean, I got so ruthless. I was like the evil scientist i was evil like you see those kids shows and there's always a madman i was that i was mad i was literally insane then i had a big party right around this time and that was the night when chris swallowed all those pills and had a seizure and i never went to work after that what do you mean i never went to my shop again because you just started getting high so crazy day, that you er, never all day all night wow Mm-hmm. So then um, I called that the vacation in hell. That was my joke. I never had a vac- couldn't take vacations. So that was what I did for a vacation. Mm-hmm. Drugs. And um, after Chris almost died, then I was like, okay, now I really have to quit because this is really ridiculous. And every siren I would hear, I'd think, oh man, they're coming to get me. I would hear helicopters flying over. And it was at the time when they were hunting people down like that. Because this drug had gone off the charts with every... I wasn't the only person. Especially because you were selling it. Yes. I was part of the distribution. Mm -hmm. And I could easily do mega time. And I'd never even been arrested in my whole life. And so... You were growing increasingly paranoid. Oh. What what was the worst... It got. The very, very, very worst was after I quit being a part of society. Because before that, I totally functioned. And then now I wasn't. I was just a drug addict. Oh, I know what happened. It was Christmas. And Chris's mom and dad were expecting us. And we couldn't put the pipe down to go over to their house. And I remember I I was making the drug. And you have to use a, a torch. And you're sitting there. And all of a sudden, you always just leave a torch burning all the time and I set it down and the torch pointed at me and it caught my sweater on fire Mm. 
I looked down and I was like taking a hit. And I looked down. Oh, shoot. I'm on fire. So I put the fire out. And then we just laughed and laughed because, you know, it was like Richard Pryor. But he ran down the street with his face on fire. I just I just put the fire out. That was a big ha-ha joke. Did it burn you and you couldn't feel it? Well, it was a sweater and there was a pocket right there. Oh, okay. It was a cotton sweater. So fortunately, it was cotton and not that plastic fiber. Otherwise, it would have probably burnt me bad. But it just burnt through the pocket. Wow. I still have the sweater. I call it my testimony sweater. Oh, my gosh. But shortly after that, Chris's dad came over to our house. And he knocked on the door, knocked, knocked, knocked. He couldn't stop knocking because he could see us in there. Mm-hmm. Chris would not answer the door. I was like, just This is Christmas Day. It was a couple days after because we didn't show up. And he thought we were dead. They didn't know what was going on. They knew we were up to something, but they didn't know what. And so he kept knocking. And finally, I just went and answered the door. And I'm sure we looked like death. My eyes were black all the way around him because we didn't sleep ever. And he invited me out to, I know what he did. He broke the window because we wouldn't answer the door. He hit it so hard, he broke it. That's when I finally answered the door. So he came back the next day and fixed the window, and that's when he um, invited me out for breakfast. And so I said I'd go, and I went, and Chris wouldn't go. He stayed there. And that's when he sat me down and gave me a little intervention. You're a drug addict. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Here's a list of numbers. You need to go to rehab. You need to go today. You going to do it? And I said, yes. Yes, I am. Thank God. I was like so happy that somebody cared enough about me to stop me in my tracks. And I took the numbers and he was trying to get me to go in his house and call. And I I wouldn't do it. I said, I'll just go. I'll go home and call. Just Mm -hmm. so I went home and didn't call. Got more drugs. Day went by. Another day went by. Another day went by. Constantly trying to call, leaving voicemails, calling, calling, calling. And nobody's work, nobody has a job. Oh, Chris got a job. Suddenly he got a job. As a photographer's assistant, the guy fired him in like 48 hours. He was like, you're a psycho. I can't use you. He was a professional. I mean, it would have been a really good job. 25 bucks an hour back in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So we had no income, no way to pay bills except selling drugs. That was how I made my living at that point in time. But now you're, were you cutting into your supply? Oh, I was, I was lacing yeah. it with everything. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. There had to be some people that got baking soda only or cream of tartar, whatever I had in my spice cabinet that looked like cocaine. Yeah, I was bad. I went so... And did that ever backfire? People come back and... One guy tried to backfire it, and I just blew him off. And then basically went to rehab, and they never found me. Because Chris's dad finally called, and we were just sitting there listening to him on the voice message recording machine live, you know. And he was like, if you don't go to rehab today, I'm calling your parents and telling them what what you're doing. Oh, wow. And I was like, erp, I guess I'm going. So I picked it up and I said, I will be making an appointment today. So I called the rehab center. I looked down the list and there was one that was state funded. And I thought, I can probably afford that because I have no income. 
So I called them up and they said, yeah, it's $7 a day. We'll take walk-ins. What, what's your drug of choice? I told them. And they said, yeah, come on in. We'll find you a bed. So I didn't go that day. But I just said, I have to go. And Chris was not letting me go. He did not want his, I don't know what we were, enabler to go. And I just said, I have to. I'm going to kill myself. And your dad knows I'm going to kill you. So I, he's, he's right. We're drug addicts. We have to go. So he goes, yeah, I mean, he, he tried everything under the sun to get me to stay. And I just kept packing my stuff up, destroying all the paraphernalia, hiding everything, throwing everything away, shattering. I shattered pipes. I just So what was it, it that, made, that got you to go? Worse? I didn't want my parents to find out it from was your somebody parents. else. I see. Okay. That would have been like, oh, I've already done so much. Mm-hmm. to them and they had no clue none whoa so they weren't seeing you very often Mm-mm. by this time they'd moved to california they were far i never visited you know wow. i mean a couple times i did but i was just crazy person like i always was right they didn't know and um well and then when you talk to you are probably always like oh i just opened this gallery or whatever oh mm-hmm. oh look at what always. i'm doing yeah oh, they I'm thought so i was successful. so successful yeah look at this they they were so schnockered by it all they just thought i was just a great person that... and they're probably thinking okay well at least you know at least she's she not gonna something. marry jimmy anymore <laughs> oh did they hate i introduced him, him to... well they were just like baffled they couldn't understand that at all because he told him we were getting married. Oh, dear. Yeah. One time they came to visit me. He's like this Orthodox Jew. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad's like, you're as old as me. What is happening? Oh my yeah. Gosh. My dad was speechless. He didn't even know what to say. <laughs> Why is this they, they, The so family weird. used to just look at me and go, that's just care. That was just who I was to them. They didn't know anything else. So You're the wild weird. child. Yeah. And so when I went to rehab, I drove away and it was like in the same state. It was in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And um, it was so refreshing to drive away from that town. (laughs) I hadn't been out of the city limits because a drug addict can't go very far from their dealer. Mm -hmm. They have to stay real close proximity. It's most addicts don't get very far from them. Wow. Um, And... I, I, I saw the handwriting on the wall. It was over. It was over. I was done. I'd done it all. Plus. So I drove away. And when I got there, before I pulled in and got walked in the building, I stopped at a back-in-the-day payphone and called my mom in California. And the first words out of my mouth were, Mama, I'm, an, I'm a drug addict. And she just started bawling. And I just said, and so then I started crying when I heard her reaction. And then I said, don't tell anybody because I was too ashamed of what I'd become. And she had no clue. And uh, I go, don't tell anybody. And then I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, tell everybody so they can pray for me. Because I knew it. I was so hooked. I figured if I don't get help now, it's over. I'm going to kill myself on this drug. So I was really desperate. And I walked in the door and they, they were really nice and sweet. And they said, oh, there's, look at this. This girl's checking out right now. And 
you can check right in and go right in her room. And they read me the rules and I said, that's no problem. I'll be, I'll be your best customer. And, uh, so they left me and that girl alone in the room together. And I said, this is exciting. You, you're done. You're, you're cured, right? She goes, oh, I'm probably going to go right out and use again. Oh my God. So then I'm just like, so this doesn't work. So now I'm really like screwed in the head. I'm just like, now what? So I'm like, I don't know. I, I got to I gotta at least give it the college try, you know? And normally in these state-funded ones, you're sent there by the courts mm, or like you right. OD and the hospital takes you over there and drops you off right. or your parents sign you in, whatever. I'm the only one in the place that walked in of my own volition, come to find out the very next day. And they, what they do is they break you down and make you start thinking about all the horrible things drugs have caused in your life. And I was not going to say I was a, a alcoholic. I was only a drug addict because I was still going to drink. Hmm. But anyway, that was what was got me out of control was the drugs. And those people, you know, I I just listened to them and I started speaking in their vernacular and they're like, you've been to a rehab before, haven't you? And I said, no, this is my first time. And they're like, have you been to therapy? And I'm like, no, I have not. And they're like, well, then how come you, I go, why, what makes you think that? I just threw it right back at, and he was like, well, you just sound, you sound like you, you know what you're talking about. You're using the same terms that we use. Like, I've just been listening to you for a week. That's crazy. You're like so smart. You can't even. I hated that place though. It was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the people in there immediately attacked me, the other residents, because they said that I was, I did too many bad things. I shouldn't be, for, you know, like I shouldn't be, um, my friends and family shouldn't forgive me. Because I was actually oh. saying what I really did. They weren't. You were really being honest. They were shining, shining it on. I really wanted help. So I'm like, I'm going to use this time to really get some answers. Right. So, you know, you work these steps. And it's like step one, realize that you that you have the problem. Okay, check. Step two, I can't even remember what it is. But then I got to step three, and it said, "Give your life to God or a higher power." And I'm like, "How do you do that?" And then I'm starting to remember Sunday school and you know and what I did when I was twelve, got baptized, you know. And I didn't know how to make the connection, though. So I started asking everybody in there, how do you give your life to God? Because there's, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to have a rock be my higher power. You know, people were doing that. And I was like, well, not me. I'm going to choose the highest power of all, the creator of the universe. Thank God I had that in there. And they were like, okay. Miss Hootie Tootie, you know, they just, they were just weird there. So I remember the director um, called me up to his office that day to write him a check. And I thought, oh, good. I'll get to talk to the guy who's in charge. He'll know the answer to this. And they were, they were like, you just got to read the big book. Got to read Bill W's story. And I said, I did that. And I'm like, sounds like he got a miracle. It sounded like one of the miracles in the Bible. He got delivered from drugs. He's the guy that started this whole thing. And so I went up to that director and I asked him. And he said, oh, I said, did Bill W. get a miracle? And he's like, I don't know. You have to find that out on your own. 
So again, I'm sitting here like, this place is really stupid. So then, literally that same day, the counselors or whatever in charge said, guess what? You get to chair your own Narcotics Anonymous meeting tonight. And I'm like, great, because I progressed that far. So people from outside came in for a meeting, you know, aftercare, mm-hmm. and also people in the that were still in the rehab. And I got to chair the meeting, which meant I got to choose the topic. So I said, perfect. I'm going to find out because somebody in this crowd is going to know how to give your life to God, not the higher power, the highest power. Not one person in there, not one of them. They were all just dejected, um, depressed, talking about how if they, if they, if they don't, didn't come to a meeting tonight, they were going to use and. I mean, it was just hopeless again. Yes. I was just like, okay. Mm. Finally, I just looked up and I go, okay, God, if you're really real, reveal yourself to me. I said it out loud right after that meeting. I was so mad. And I just literally, I dared God. And that literally three seconds later, the lady from upstairs at the front desk came running down and goes, Carrie, there's a phone call for you. I'm like, cool. I can get a phone call. I'm thinking, is it you, God? (laughs) And it was, it was my aunt who was a born again Christian in the fellowship witnessing to me, telling me how to get the highest power of all. And the connection was Jesus Christ. And I was like, I forgot all about him. I forgot all about him. I had forgotten all about Jesus. I knew about God, but I forgot about Jesus. And she reminded me, and then she did a quick little Bible study on the word, the Greek word sozo. I remember it specifically, exactly how she explained it and how he came to, he died not only to save, but deliver and heal. And I was like, I need all of that. And by this time I'm bawling my eyes out and there's people pounding on the door of the little glassed in phone booth. They want to use the phone because it's free time or something. And I was like, she wanted me to pray with her over the phone. And I was like, I can't because I was, I had a big frog in my throat and I couldn't even choke the words out. So I, I was crying. I was just like, I need, I, I need to pray. So I just ran up to my room and I knelt at the side of my bed, like a child, you know, saying your bedtime prayers instead of now I lay me down to sleep. I prayed the sinner's prayer. She told me the sinner's prayer to pray. And I instantly felt God touch me in that moment. Like I literally felt like Atlas and the weight of my sin, the world just went rolling off my back. And it was concerned person's day that day. And Chris had come to see me and he was such a jerk and he was high and he'd let the power shut off at our house and he'd moved out. And I had a little birdie in there and plants and I had even given him money to pay the power bill and he didn't do it. He spent the money on something else, drugs probably. And I was so mad at him, and I had a bad headache from that encounter. Went away. He healed me. He saved me. He delivered me. And he healed me in that moment. And I knew I was set free. I knew it. I went running downstairs, and I told everybody, I felt my higher power, because they all knew what I was looking for. I I was very loud about it, about wanting to find him and then actually finding him. And a bunch of people prayed with me, the sinner's prayer. Yeah. 
And like two days later, this weird kid that was hustling me was in my room talking to me. And the girl from the desk walked in the door and they had the doorknobs rubber banded together. And he hid in the closet when he heard her coming. And she shut the door and it opened the closet. And he was right there. So she was like, you can't do that. It was co-ed, but you weren't allowed to go into each other's rooms. And he was in my room. And so basically... She said, you, you, you have to leave. And I said, I'm gone. I'm, I don't need this place anymore. <laughs> wow. So I went back to my house, empty January cold of Iowa, no heat, no electricity, packed everything I owned, put it in storage, took me a week, called my landlord, told him, I'm a drug addict. I just got out of treatment. He's like, oh, no. Because he was a drug and alcohol counselor. And he was like, he's like, this is the beginning of the end. And I go, don't worry, I'm leaving. I'll be out in a week. Just give me time. And he did. And when he came to look at the house, when I called him and said, I'm ready for my walkthrough, he was like, I can't believe it. It looks brand new. I even went, rented one of those floor shining machines. Oh, like I was like doing everything. There was a, ref- he came by to check on me during the week. I had a refrigerator outside. It looked like death warmed over and I was like don't worry I promise you it'll be perfect that slime ball Chris came run- running up he'd stolen my TV and my VCR brand new and I said you better get those back over here now <laughs> you pray that and then oh, the total next miracle. day you left yeah so how Wait. did this progress like yes. you know you get delivered and then what's the next step like how did you stay safe my aunt called me right away and said, just come out to Arizona. Okay. Okay. That's, that's why I was like, oh, really? I don't have to do this, try to do this here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I think the landlord kicked the guy that taught me how to rock up out of his apartment. I mean, people were getting shut down left and right. It was an end of an age. Wow. So yeah. your aunt. You got the goods. She offers to let you stay with her. She said, just get out here. I don't care how. Do you want me to come get you? I was like, no, you have a business to run. I've got to do this. And it's going to take me some time, but I can do it. And she called me every single day. Wow. On my little landline phone, princess phone. She had the whole church praying for me. Praise God. Yeah. And when I showed up, I had like my punk rock outfit on. And they were like, a sinner. They were so happy to see me because they'd been praying for me, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was because my mom had called her. Yeah. Because she'd witnessed to my mom. Wow. Since she'd gotten set free from um, weed. She was married to my mom's brother. Oh, And I used to party with them. Oh, my God. In in Vegas and stuff. Yeah. Because they were in Tempe. She and I would meet up in Vegas. Wow. and And get stoned. (laughs) <laughs> Tell us about going to her house. I mean, are you like on cloud nine? Was it instantaneous or did you grow in your relationship with God? Like did the desire of drugs completely just go felt away? Like, what happened? It just felt like a whole crap load of work. And I was pinning all my hope on she, she had the answer. She told me to come out to Arizona, live with her and learn how to serve God. That was the word she told me. And I said, serve God. She goes, yeah, instead of yourself. I'm like, that's a concept I need to hear about. So that was like drawing me. Serve God, serve God. What's that mean? What does that mean? And um, 
yeah, just all the muck and getting everything packed and put in storage. And I was just focused on that. Sure. It was too busy to. Sure. So tell I went, us about, I went to Jimmy's house. Went. I went to Jimmy's oh, house yeah. to say goodbye. And he gave me 200 bucks to get out here. I, I was telling everybody. Wow. I was sozo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told that to everybody too. Mm-hmm. The Greek word sozo. Whoa. And then when I showed up, I remember I, w- I, I had a thermos of coffee and all my clothes in the back of my car. I left everything else back there in storage. And I drove out by myself in the middle of winter. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was a, that was, that's a long haul. Yeah. And I didn't have the money to stop. So I just kept going, kept drinking and coffee. And you're not on any. I had a bottle of Bailey's Irish cream, and I kept putting it in my <laughs> coffee. I'd go in the rest stop. I still hadn't gotten set and free from alcohol. And one time I was at the truck stop getting coffee. It was early in the morning. I think I pulled off the side of the road and slept for a couple hours. But it was in the middle of winter. You couldn't do it for very long. You'd freeze Mm -hmm. to death. So I went to a truck stop early in the morning and the cops were sitting at the counter. And I stayed away from them. I went down to the other end and I asked the waitress if she could fill up my my thing and I'd already put like that much Bailey's in the bottom and she could smell it and she was like woo oh and she she's like she goes turns to the cops and said something to him goes this I probably I like lip reading I think she said this is full of alcohol I go just dump it out she filled it up with straight coffee and I drove down the road I didn't put any more Bailey's in <laughs> I was like I don't want to get pulled over on my way to Arizona I gotta get there so I'm like all the way there, you know, and uh, I pull in. My aunt's at work, and my uncle Steve is there. Unbeknownst to me, he's not saved. He goes to church, but he's not born again. Oh no! I did not know this, and their marriage was falling apart because of it. I show up on this scene. He's in his garage tinkering around with his boat. Care? Hi. Want a beer? First thing he says, cracks me a beer. We're just sitting out there shooting the breeze. Christy comes rolling in from work. I mean, I'm sure she was just absolutely pissed yeah. when she saw that. Mm-hmm. But she kept it. I never knew mm-hmm. a thing. She was she was saved. She was really saved. And she owned the, the shop that did the printing for the fellowship along oh. with other jobs. But, yeah, she had gotten the trumpet. And so I got all, and we did all the flyers, too, for the fellowship. So I used, I got to know the whole fellowship, all the pastors, they'd call to make orders. She would just sit and tell me all about them and she'd read the Bible and tell me what she was reading. Oh, she was amazing. She was amazing. She discipled me. Wow. Yeah. So, and I was discipled by her very intensely. Mm-hmm. Like God did right. a every quick day. work. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. All day, every day. And everybody at the shop was saved. You know what I mean? You yeah. were just like We went consumed. on outreach. And yeah. So weird. I remember these kids would ride their bikes to the shop in the Arizona heat and ask if they could meet with Christine in her office. I found out later they were coming to ask her if, if, I, if they can marry me. <sighs> That's awesome. Guys, single guys in the church. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How funny. But immediately me and Christine started witnessing to my family. Um, did she have a background? You said she was partying. Was she, did she have a drug problem? She was a hippie. She was a real hippie. Okay. Yeah. So she got she, married in the forest. She knew what you, you know? needed. She did. Because yeah. she had been 
totally set free. Wow. She was a wine drinker and a. And, and what prompted her to call you? My That's mom so called supernatural. Her. Oh, your she mom had witness to my her. mom. And your she... mom said Carrie needs to hear this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then they took you in. How long did you live with her? A year. Wow. Until you got married. When I was a kid, I looked up to her and Steve. You know, mm. and Steve was your mom's brother. You mm-hmm. said so. Then that's hard too because it's yeah, like, the family yeah, part of it. Dynamic. She was my yeah in law, right? So it was it was brutal. I had to get away from that. So you know, some of the girls let me move in with them. Oh, okay. in the church. So yeah. tell me if there if there's someone who is listening to this and they're like right in the heat of where you were at prior to salvation. Speak directly to them. Like, what what do you say to them? And what, like, what do you think made it possible for you to stay sober? Like, obviously, it was a miracle. But tell us yes. about the building of your relationship with God, any temptation moments, that kind of thing. When did you well, get set free from alcohol? the very first time I was tempted to, to use was right after I dropped that Randy kid off at his sister's house. I thought, I'm going to see what Les is up to. And I drove straight to his apartment. And it was boarded up. And I was like, that was another miracle from God. Because if he would have been there, who knows what what would have mm-hmm. happened. I would have probably started right back up again. Too much for you to handle. Yeah. Yeah. God totally took that one out of the picture. Under Somehow Jimmy understood, don't give her anymore. She's done. She's really done. And about a year and a half later at Bible study in my aunt's house, he the sheriff from Polk County, Iowa, called me and was asking me questions about my relationship with Jimmy Galinsky. That whole entire ring had been arrested. That's the grace of He served God. 19 years in federal prison. Oh Jimmy did. Oh, my God. That's when his wife found out. <laughs> Probably. How sad. Can you imagine just being like a perfect little Jewish girl and yikes. then your husband gets arrested? So you were 100% part of that ring. Oh, totally. I should have been indicted. So what happened? God totally shielded me from that, too. Because the sheriff, when he was asking questions, he, he said, we found extensive records. <laughs> and your name was on a lot of them. And I said, yes. And he goes, but he says that you were just his picture framer for his daughter's work. And I said, Yes. He goes, okay, thank you very much, ma'am. That was it. I was never... Whoa. And I'm talking, we're talking a huge scandal in the city of Des Moines. Huge. Yeah. So he kind of covered for you in a way. He did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was federal, a federal offense because Mm -hmm. he was using the mail to receive his drugs. He's FedEx. God, grace was on you. That's crazy. That is so crazy. Wow. I should be dead or in prison, guys, literally. Mm, I shouldn't nuts. be alive. There's no way. Okay, so talk to us about this because the other thing is you you come out of a life of that and you have all these like habits of, of mm-hmm. what you do. And mm-hmm. now it's almost, you know, the trying to figure out how to be a Christian. I walked in that church with my punk rock getup on <laughs> and I went, these people are way happy. Are they drunk? <laughs> Literally. I was like, how are they so happy? I had still had dark circles around my eyes because of so many years of lack of sleep. Bad. 
I, I couldn't believe the joy. And I was like, is it fake? I mean, I was like very, mm-hmm. you know how you're jaded? Yeah. And you look at people like, is this real? Skeptical. Are they really yeah. happy? Or is it just a put on? Yeah. Are they trying to sell me something? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I realized it was me that was had the facade. God showed me that. Wow. Through sermons and just introspection, reading the Bible. I remember coming home from from work. Christy put me to work that very next day. I didn't sit around. The JW stopped by and tried to get me JWized. And she was like, that's it. You're going to work. And I was an artist. I had commercial art experience from my classes I took when I first moved mm-hmm. to Des Moines and stuff. So I did paste up and I, you know, ran the counter. And I the could other talk thing to that's people. so good about that is an idle mind. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have to give she was people genius. stuff to do. I think yeah. God gave her divine inspiration on wow. how to handle me because I was really rough around. Every other word out of my mouth was the F word and other stuff. One time riding my bike home from work, in Tempe, I worked for my aunt at her frame shop, at her print shop. And my house, her house where I lived, was the other side of Tempe. So I would ride my bike home. And I remember riding past this house. And I could smell the, the chemicals that you use to make cr- crack. Mm-hmm. And I did a double, like I stopped my bike. And I turned and tried to look. And I was like, what are you doing? You don't care about that anymore. And I was like, you're right. That's when I knew I was free. Because if I hadn't gotten delivered, I would have went looking for it. Yep, sure. I would have found it. Sure. I wouldn't have stopped until I found it. Wow. But God set me free. And he also gave me the ability to... Just question myself. What are you? What are you doing, you idiot? Mm-hmm. You don't do that anymore. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm not a drug addict wow. anymore. Wow, that's a trip. Which is so refreshing because when I went to rehab, they told us once an addict, always an addict. Yeah. That made me really, really depressed. I did not want to wear that badge, my whole life. Yeah. And when I found out that I could be delivered. And I didn't have to call myself a drug addict or an alcoholic anymore. Praise God. Oh, that was like music to my ears. Yes. It was a healing balm. Yes. That was such a miracle and so miraculous to me. And So that's, a, that's kind of the part of the story I want to talk about now, if we could, is the, the miracle. There's a miracle of the moment and then there's like the miracle of time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Of what God does. So... Tell us some of those things, like when did the alcohol addiction break? When did the smoking? Well. How did things start falling off as you became a new person? When I realized these, you know, there was like a church fellowship or something. And nobody had alcohol. It was all soda and punch and stuff. And I was like, you guys don't drink? I mean, you know, it was Mm -hmm. just gelling slowly. And just different conversation that I, I would have with different people in the church. Different, you know, they, they, I was, I was a rugged case and they were just, different people would ask me questions and I'd tell bits and pieces of my story and they'd just be like, wow. <laughs> okay. TMI. <laughs> Some of them didn't want to hear it. Yeah. Cause it was just so raw mm-hmm. and right there. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm like, I don't know if I can do this or not, but I'm going to sure try, you guys. And so some of the, so, okay, mindset with men. You said there was this big feminist thing. Mm. I know the fellowship in the church that you're a part of. And I know like a big thing that they teach is manly headship and mm-hmm. leadership. I was, that was really quite refreshing for me. I was kind of sick of toeing the line at that point in time. Mm-hmm. I'd been, I'd kind of come full circle in the feminist thing for myself. And like I said, with Chris, I was like, why don't you go get a job? Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. so I was ready to be taken care of a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So you were almost drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Gotcha. Whether or not I was a very good surrender at the beginning with my husband, I don't think I was. You know, because Pastor Mitchell, we've always heard, I mean, easiest way to find out just how imperfect you are is to marry somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Two see selfish how... people living in the same yeah. house. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. comes to a head right away. And of course, with Bruce, he had already been married once. And so his his experience with marriage was, was really good. That's why he immediately mm-hmm. got married again. Yeah. yeah. And um, he couldn't... But you became a mom overnight too. I did. And yeah. because I had the superhero mentality mm-hmm. still cr- mm-hmm. coursing through my veins, I thought I'm going to... Get to work. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Give me, you know, Mm -hmm. give me a challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I was a little bit off in my thinking there because these people just needed love. And God pretty early on brought that to me. He he showed me that. I remember a, a night early in the marriage and the honeymoon's over and... Everybody's fed and everybody's getting in bed. And I, you know, go back and forth room to room. And then Bruce goes, lays down. And so the kids, mom, they had, they had started calling me mom by then. Mm-hmm. So I go in Daniel's room and I, you know, massage his feet for a minute and tuck him in. Mich- Michelle hollers out, mom. I go in hers, see what she needs, get her some water, get her, you know, whatever she needs and then mm. Bruce care <laughs> I'm just I feel I'm like caregiver 101 man but I loved it I some people needed me you know mm-hmm. at and so and now they all look at me and go you're it's your fault we don't clean our houses you did everything <laughs> for us you spoiled us <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm so spoiled. I mean, because I really literally (laughs) ruined it for myself from day one. (laughs) But, you know, I I still do it. I don't care. It's part of my, it's, it gives me meaning, gives me a reason for being, you know. Sure. So you found purpose. (laughs) I did. And people, that church prayed for me. I remember Harry Hills, just different, you know, Wilma's husband. Mm Mm-hmm. That guy, when I was a brand new convert, he came and preached a revival. Vic Eason. Vic Eason. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that impact because he was he was a drug addict mm-hmm. and an alcoholic mm. for years, and uh, oh, that impacted me so much. That 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 it, revival was this like right, timely, 
God just had my number, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. All my whole life he's had my number. I can't get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps me in check. Thank God cuz you know, I just the life I've been allowed to live. I feel like sometimes I pinch myself and I'm like, is this real? Mm-hmm. When I may see somebody who looks like I used to be, you know, and it just, mm-hmm. it hits you and you go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there go I, but for the grace of. Just kind of bringing you to today. If someone saw where you lived, what you did, what you guys have accomplished. Oh, they don't believe it. Yeah. They, they don't, do not. They would not believe where you came from. And what I think is so powerful about that is that that is the miracle is that God does not leave you the way that you are. There's nobody who's too far you know, you've never yeah. gone too far. And when you really submit yourself to the will of God, I mean, it'll blow your mind what God will do with your life. He's healed me so many times. He has always given me revelation. He, I've survived teenagers and kids <laughs> going off and doing the stupid things. I, you know, nowhere near the depths that I did. Because you know what? I always, I always felt like I need to tell these kids what it's really like out there. Because if when they, there's going to come a point where they think they know everything mm-hmm. and I need them to know the real truth. So I have always, always told them my testimony, not the deepest parts of it, but just don't ever do this mm-hmm. because, and I'll tell you why, I'll tell you exactly why you can't get free from it unless you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you might not survive it. You might not survive it. So I was always real honest with him about that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's funny is that even even post salvation, a lot of people, you guys, you and Bruce are so humble that it's <laughs> funny because, like, I think what what we're thinking it's crazy because like even the physical aspect of like what you guys have had like the. 411 and you're like beautiful house and all these different like little things you guys are like whatever but it's like it's crazy because to me i'm like it's funny it's like real estate it's physical you can see it and so i don't know i just have this picture is it's so crazy because you keep saying man i should have been dead or in jail or dead Mm -hmm. or in jail and then now it's like it's just cool because you know like you had a (laughs) apartment you're like you guys are goals like and 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 most people wouldn't have you they don't even like looking at you guys you wouldn't even know it because you're just like hey yeah whatever it's fine do you want me to help you fix your windows you know and i'm like my husband looks at me oh my gosh it's as like when we first got married i was still pretty raw like rough around the edges (laughs) like for quite a while wait i heard a story about this did you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? And then, like, did you tell him, so what, are you going to take me on a date? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He kept borrowing my little pickup truck. And it was actually my dad's, and he didn't want it anymore. And then he gave it to my brother, and my brother gave it to me. So I went up to Wyoming and picked it up. It was this old, nasty Chevy Love with the seats all ripped up. I was like, doesn't run. Mark's, Mark's like, it needs a head job. So I just brought it to Arizona. And... My cousin Brent showed up, and I was like, can you fix this? Yeah, I work at a head shop. 
So he fixed it for me. We worked on it together. All my brothers prayed with me. My dad was the first one to pray. Praise God. I know. Praise God. It's just, so I had that little pickup truck and it was such a beater. But Bruce kept, you know, after Margaret died, he got a couple bucks from the airline. They gave him, she had an insurance policy or something. And uh, he was like, you know what I need to do? Oh, his yes, deceased, first wife. deceased yeah. wife. She, um, she passed away, and um, he he got twenty thousand dollars from Ed Beauvais, the owner of America West Airlines, because she worked there, mm. and they were really gracious, and they just they just kept trying to bless them because they felt so bad the way she died. They didn't know what was wrong with her for the longest time, and then suddenly it's leukemia. And, but he had some money, so he started kind of fixing up his house, and he was like. I need a truck so I can go to Home Depot. So he came up to ask me if he can borrow my little truck. Was he in the same church as you? Yes. Okay. He, okay. he and Margaret were in the Tempe Church at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, they had moved down there to, he was, he was trying to build his business, and he was driving up and down I-17 all the time, and it just became dumb. I was like, we need to move. To me, it was oh, yeah. a miracle place. But I remember just every single service going up, bawling my eyes out. Every time, raise my hand, going up. And I finally said to somebody, do you, when does this crying stop? You know? Because I was just, God was just working so cool. out the the, the grossness. Mm-hmm. I was forgiving and getting forgiven. And he was bringing things up. And it was just, just, it was, oh, man, it was probably six months of just snot nose altar calls for me because wow. I had a lot. I call it, pop, he was popping the zits on my heart because it was so hard. <laughs> my heart was so hard, so hard because life, yeah. I'd hide to harden it to, so I couldn't be hurt, you know? Yeah. And that's how I shell. knew I got saved was like, I started crying. Yes. I remember before I would never cry. I, I had to get drunk to cry never. My, with my sister. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And so I was like, that's how I know uh-huh. that I, you know, that's yeah. how. He softened your heart. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Just so he's borrowing his truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the girls at work kept saying, "We know who likes you," and I'm like, "Who?" I go, "I know this one. I think <laughs> well, you told me that guy." And then the, and none of them were really that appealing. <laughs> and they go, "Bruce Cutter," and I was like, "No, he's just borrowing my truck. He's remodeling his house." And they're like. Watch his face the next time he comes up to you. And I'm like, okay. I'm thinking, man, I'm really dumb. I used to be really quick on this stuff. So the next time at church that night, he walks up. Oh, man, his face is beet red. Huge grin. I'm like, he does like me. (laughs) And so he walks up and I start smiling. He goes, can I borrow your truck again? And I'm like, I was pissed. I was like, what are you going to stop borrowing my truck and ask me out? He's like, would you go? And I said, sure. Why not? He was just like beaming. Can you see it? I can totally see it. You're You're doing it perfectly. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And that was the beginning. He took me out in a Cadillac to the West Court in the Buttes. I mean, that was the premier spot in Tempe at the time. I was impressed. I was like, we could probably date. <laughs> Had to ask my aunt. It's okay. And right away we started talking about marriage. Yeah. I've been saved for 33 
years now. And I think back, you know, when I first walked through those doors, I thought, there is no way I can do this. These people are way too good. I mean, it was just daunting, the thought. Because <sighs> a lot of them had been saved for 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15. Oh, 15. Mm-hmm. Bruce had been saved 18 years when I married him. That was oh, just, wow. I just couldn't fathom that. <laughs> that was just seemed like so unsurreal, like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So God has shown me step by step that you can walk with him and be a Christian and mm-hmm. be a shining light in these dark times. And, you know, back in the day when I first got saved, we'd go on outreach and I would try to give my testimony and people would go, oh, well, well, you needed to get saved. You know, it was kind of like the, they didn't want to hear it because they weren't as bad as me. Hmm. But now, yep. 30 years later, it's so rampant. The sin mm-hmm. is so rampant that my testimony is so timely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back then it was a little bit... Yeah. Over the edge for people. Yeah. Oh, you needed to get saved. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't, because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, self righteous and ooh. Yeah. But everybody knows if they're not themselves. Everyone knows someone who's addicted to something. Oh, absolutely. It's in every family. Yes. And God just, you know, he he points me to people. Yeah, you're able to use it now. Yeah. Yes. And even the time, because there's certain times that you can meet people that are doing good, but for how long? Mm-hmm. You know, and now exactly. you can say, mm-hmm. it's been 33 years. And if I could show you what God can do in a life, like just keep, just keep coming, just yeah. keep surrendering, just, and mm-hmm. that's the thing too, is I that's think, it. is like with you, you said like six months of going you were so open. And I think it's crazy what God can do when somebody's really open. Yeah. When their heart yes. is open and they're they're pursuing, they're And here's the thing, Rylan, without your heart being open, mm-hmm. you, you can't even understand the gospel. But how does your mm-hmm. heart become open? Mm-hmm. You have to take that first step. Yep. And just come to just the end of Just being brave enough to take oh. the first step. Yep. Yeah. Just come and just mm-hmm. let God work in you. I remember Pastor Mitchell used to say, you don't need a 12-step program. You need 12 steps up to this altar. Yeah. I used to laugh riotously at that. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. There's 12 steps right here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Walk 12 steps up to this altar. Wow. That guy made a huge impact on my life to the point where even moving up here, you know, immediately I fell in love with Prescott. My aunt took me to conference right away. I just said, I'm going to serve God in this fellowship. Because mm-hmm. this is this is the place yeah. where what God is really doing something in this fellowship, and I did not know that Prescott had the condemnation against our church, because in in the valley you don't everybody just oh what church should you go to oh good yeah maybe we'll come by sometime oh. I'll tell you you know every now and then you look back and you just think what am I doing right now am I even effective is God even working in my life you know you get that kind of the humdrums and it's like and your husband will walk up to you and go you know what you've really changed in the 33 years of in the 32 years it's like i have oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was forced to be reckoned i mean i can imagine like one year after and then a lifetime like you know 28 years of sin 
and then one year of salvation and entering into marriage, like, well, yeah. What was it, he like, thinking? <laughs> you had thinking? a truck. I did. He had to marry you. You had a truck. <laughs> and you guys, before we got married, he pulled up to my work. I got a job at a frame shop, and after my aunt. So I found a little frame shop and worked there. And he pulled up. I was taking the trash out at the end of the day. And he's like, hi, how you doing? And I was like, good. What's up? And he's like, I don't know, but I can't, I can't do this. And he pulls out his checkbook and he hands it to me. And he goes, can you handle this for me? I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, are you serious? This is sad. Because <laughs> when I got saved, I had way better credit than he than he did and he was a christian for 18 years and i was a drug addict all that time oh my word but i was like so pride was a big thing for me that was part of my i just i willed it into being Mm -hmm. you know and it was had to do it had to do with my toughness how tough can i be against this world it's me against the world you know and now i don't have to be like that i can just rest that was one of the really awesome things that god showed me early on is just rest i remember being a brand new convert and just going in the room that christine made up for me and just laying on the bed and just crying and jesus just holding me in his arms and just like a mom you know a mother would hurt Mm -hmm. some child when they were hurt i was just i was just hurting from life and he just cradled me in his arms and i felt his presence And the really awesome thing was when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, my gosh. I was, like, running around the church going, it's better than any drug I've ever done. (laughs) It really felt like a high. I was high on the Holy Ghost. And then you read in the the Bible where they... People thought they were drunk. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I get it. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's an intense feeling. That's amazing. All right, ladies. Thank you for coming on, Kara. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>